This is a unique little book covering a topic that is much overdue for teaching children about our environment. The title is Funny Clouds, A Chemtrail's Tale, written by Raphael O'Neill, illustrated by Sean Gautreaux, and printed by an Amazon company called Great Space. The story is about little Marie and her mom, who go outside to plant a tree. When they finish, little Marie looks up towards the sky to see strange clouds sprayed by jet aircraft. The story is told in rhyme and prose that can inform but also entertain a young reader. I recommend this book because it has an optimistic message without instilling fear. The story ends on a positive note about how responsible people will ultimately succeed in stopping chemtrails by spreading awareness and taking political action. This little book is a valuable tool for adults to educate their children on an extremely important environmental issue. Informed citizens know that chemtrails were described in House Resolution 2977 as an exotic weapon back in 2001. Concerned parents have a right to protect their children from dangerous chemical experiments in our sky. If you're interested in this book, go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. PatriotRadioBooks.com. There's a new bookstore in town. Did you know that the police in Boston were broadcasting? This is a drill. This is a drill on bullhorns during the marathon. That the Boston Globe was tweeting that a demonstration bomb would be set off during the marathon for the benefit of bomb squad activities, and that one would be set off in one minute in front of the library, which happened as the Globe had announced, that peering through the smoke, you could see bodies with missing arms and legs, but there was no blood, that the blood only showed up later and came out of a tube, that they used amputee actors in a studio-quality smoke machine, that the prosecution of the brothers blaming them for the crime was staged, don't let yourself be played. Check out, and nobody died in Boston either. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like to find out why the Boston Marathon is one of the most embarrassing, laughable hoaxes ever perpetrated on the American people, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Warning. We don't give a hoot about taboo. All we seek is truth. And we will follow her rivers wherever they flow. Beyond yours or my comfort zones. Beyond mainstream and corporate sponsored lies. Beyond disguise, beyond the haze in the skies, definitely beyond the veil. Buckle up, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. Welcome back, fellow voyagers. Welcome anew, stragglers, brave ones. This voyage will take us back in time a little bit as we revisit some of the details of Katrina. 
yours truly having been a survivor of the storm, not just in the hours in which it took for it to pass by us, but in the years in which it took for us to recover from the consequences of, well, said consequences of said storm. After the storm, I wrote this, and I didn't really realize or appreciate the full implications of what I would be learning in the years to come. But in hindsight, its appropriateness is perfectly fitting. I've always been more intuitive than I've been knowledgeable of things in actuality. My intuition usually yields better results than whatever I have learned by rote. Gone. Gone are the days I can listen to the rain falling down outside my window pane and not think it is an enemy trying to wash us away. Gone. I wrote that in the weeks and days after Katrina. Having had two days' notice before the storm was upon us, having been absolutely horrified that my friends were left to rot out on the roofs for five days after the storm passed, when we can send aid overseas in less than that, two to three days for earthquakes or tsunami relief. But Americans were left on the roof of their homes until Friday, Thursday and Friday, a full four or five days after the levees broke, having later discovered that there were rumors as to what the actual death toll really was from the flood versus from the special forces that were brought in to clean house, so to speak, while everything was down for renovations, fumigate the place, so to speak. Be their own court, be their own judge, if you're a rapist, looter, who probably deserves to be put down, or if you're some guy just trying to find some food for your family to survive this ordeal, it's irrelevant. If you get caught up in the sweeping, that's going to be your sweep behind. What we saw in New Orleans was a gun grab, was a grab for the Constitution, was an experiment big giant social engineered social engineering experiment and they tried it in Texas but as you'll see it did not work went back underneath the bridge and they were loading up with as many people it's got to be dozens of people mm. in the back oh of my that gosh. they take them to a nearby Walmart mm. uh, and then the Walmart is where uh, I guess metro buses or school buses will take them to the shelter the question is what shelter are they taking them to because I heard Tom say GRB is overcrowded and and uh, or not overcrowded but at the capacity they had planned for so right. I think they're gosh if, I, I certainly have that question I don't know if we've answered it but that's what you mean when you say disorganized organization it's because some of these people, there will be, this is a new normal. They're never going to go back home. So they want to help them as much so that they're never just walking out of here and feeling like they're going back onto the street. They've worked with them throughout the process here to help them adjust to this new world order that they are, they're going to be living in after this. I'm going to sit down here with Jake, who's got his dog, Bubba. Jake, who is homeless. Jake, you've found yourself some shelter here. Why? Why are you outside during this entire hurricane? Well, I chose not to go inside yesterday because the Salvation Army and the Russian Winds Homeless Shelter, where they were accepting people, were caught killing everybody that was in there. I'm sorry. Right. Okay. All right. So clearly you're homeless and uh, there are some challenges that you face, sir. I'm just curious, what has it been like out here for you? Uh, it's been a little miserable since about 12 o'clock last night. It wasn't too bad before then. About 12 o'clock, lightning, power went out in the neighborhood over here. And uh, I'm actually a police officer. I'm actually... Okay, sir. I'm curious, as you're here and you're trying to survive...
Hey guys, this is G4T. Thought I'd cheat this for you really quick. And um, I'm not even sure what this is. It's like a train of homeless um, carts. But I never see the people associated with the carts. So this is really late at night, and I don't know where they are, who's moving these carts from place to place. It's very eerie, very spooky. It's almost like, who's doing this? I never see people pushing them. But you see the carts and they're moved in one area to another. How's this happening? Where are these people? What are they doing? Why are they doing this? Homeless encampments, they're starting to pop up everywhere. And I just thought I'd see this one. This one's like camouflaged pretty well. And right here in the open, you know, hiding in broad daylight. Hey, is anybody back here? Hey, bro? Hello? There you go. It's actually a little house in there. In places like South Carolina, they have instituted essentially FEMA camps where they've made it illegal to be homeless and they go ahead and uh, shift them to facilities outside of the city. Hey guys, this is the Chief here. It's Sunday to September 17, 2017. Had some interesting information here that I ran across last night. And we're talking about the Tidwell Road Walmart, and I had a lot of backlash. And I told people that it wasn't me that said it. <laughs> it was the ABC News in Houston that said they were taking them to Tidwell Road. Now, a lot of people came at me and said, that's just a staging area. And I said, okay, if it's a staging area, then staging means to set people up. Now, I have pictures of the Tidwell Road um, Walmart, okay, from 2011. Now, as I show you these pictures, you can see that the area where they built this new cage, and I'll show you the video afterwards, there's a cage there, okay, with a scanner, and there's, and it's a cage, literally a cage with a, a ceiling on it locked in. They actually built it between the both entrances, from the main home entrance to the pharmacy entrance. And as you see my picture here, you can see there wasn't a fence there, but I'm getting ready to show you that there is a fence there now. So... Did they stage these people up there? I, I think they did. Did they take them there, put them in a cage, and then process them? I think these people did. I think they got processed at different places from that place. They may have went underground, and you don't know that because that Walmart was closed at the time. There's a lot of construction around these Walmarts, and I'm going to read you one from the area that's actually um, a brand new one in Spring, Texas, in the Creekside area that these people basically protested but that was a fake protest because they were part of the same masons the, the protest was all about to get the people all worked up okay it was a distraction now i'm going to read you about this protest about this new spring texas in houston and i guarantee this new walmart has tunnels in it that's why they re, they built this whole new thing and what they did was they created some kind of fake concerns that people would even know or, or even think to even worry about tunnels underground or any of that stuff back in 2015 or 2016. This is how they get their money, man. They fake the shit out of everything. They sign bills. People are like, oh, I can't wait. Thank you for signing it. I voted for you. I know I'm going to be benefiting from that money. No, I don't think so. We've gone through these kinds of experiences before. My guess is that the project will not be successfully stopped. I just doubt it. <laughs> Translation, it was never going to, said Township Board Member Ed Robb. Because Ed just robbed you of your rights, people. He lied to you. We can assist in the shaping of the project to take into concerns that are quite valid. But it's private property and it's platted for commercial use. So in other words, the Masonic Brotherhood owns it and you ain't got to look inside it, popping this shit. Influence is what we can most bring to the table on behalf of the residents. We love you. We love you. Now get in the cage, assholes. That's exactly what it's like. All right, guys. Guys, have a good day. Now back to the dams. You said, you said they they released the dams, and that how how long after the initial flood did they do that? I didn't get flooded out by the, the rain. What flooded me was the, the release of the dam. Right. What what bothers me the most about that is that I heard about it on the news. They didn't come around in the neighborhoods mm -hmm. to warn us a day or two. Maybe we're gonna release. We might. They didn't give me the opportunity to say, well, maybe I should get a U-Haul and move my things out. And this way, I can save what little bit I have. They, they told us at 8.30 at night, 
that they were going to release the dam at 2 o'clock in the morning. They released the dam, they say, at 12 o'clock that night. At 8.30, it's dark. I have two grandbabies. They're two years old. I'm not getting in the car and taking them where it's already flooding. Right. And then risk drowning with them. Mm -hmm. So we waited. I could not leave my house that next morning without help. They had to come with the boat to get us. Right. They came. They get. They got us out the house. They put you on dry land. So do you have any place to go? What do you mean? They didn't have a shelter. It was set up before the release of this water for the people in these neighborhoods that they were going to flood and knowingly going to flood the neighborhoods. I get it. I understand why they did it yeah. to save other parts of Houston. But these people are having dinner parties. These people are having doing their lives mm -hmm. and everything. And I'm stuck in a freaking uh, Macy's. A dump. And not being able to get back to work right. while they're going on and nobody has anything in place. The biggest thing is all of these stars came out. They did They did fundraisers, millions and millions of dollars. Where's it at? Where is it? Because yeah. I didn't even get breakfast this morning. So if you had to send a message to, to say all the celebrities that started fundraisers. They don't have it. They didn't you got a message me. for them? It didn't reach. It didn't, check your people, people maybe? That I, check your people. Check your people. Because the money didn't get to us. Right. The food and everything else, it didn't get to us. Thank you. Uh, now, my last rant will be on the Red Lost. I'm sorry, the Red Cross. Because the Red Cross, if anybody wants to donate to the Red Cross, please call me. I beg you not to send them a penny. They are the most inept, unorganized organization that I've ever experienced. I, I've been in Kingwood fighting this thing, and we have not seen one person, not a single person from the Red Lost. Yet, every time I turn on the TV, they're receiving multi, multi hundreds of millions of dollars. What are you guys doing with it? How many contractors are you helping us with? So to this day, many days after the hurricane hit, I have not seen a single person in Kingwood or in Clear Lake that's a representative of the Red Cross. You know who opened our shelters? We did. You know who sent water and supplies? We did. People didn't have cots. We got them blankets. We didn't get a darn thing from the Red Cross. So. If anybody wants to send them money, don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. Send it to other causes. Thank you, Mayor. Thanks. Thanks, Councilman Martin. Uh, Councilmember Kubash. Today in New Orleans, they got a lot tougher on the holdouts. Police Department, home! Not only the flooded areas, but New Orleans' driest and wealthiest neighborhoods, too. The police and National Guard going street by street, house to house. We need to make sure, too, that uh, whenever we knock on doors, people refuse to leave. We need to make note, call it in. They say there are no orders to use force, just strong persuasion, sometimes entering open houses with guns drawn and instructions to disarm anyone inside. You say guns, guns will be taken. No one will be able to be armed. We yes, will sir. take all yes, weapons. Sir. That happened today in this wealthy neighborhood where homeowners had armed themselves to protect their mansions. Residents were handcuffed on the ground. In the end, police took their weapons but let them stay in their homes. They were a little bit threatened because our weapons were bigger than their weapons. For many of the police and guard troops, it is an uncomfortable job to do this in an American city. This guard unit occupied a church, using it as a base camp. They had to leave a note because they could not get hold of the pastor to get permission. It is, it is surreal. Yeah, you just never, you never expect to do this in your own country. Chris Montgomery says he'd rather be in Iraq than patrolling American neighborhoods. Walking up and down these streets, you don't, you don't want to think about the stuff that you're going to have to do. If somebody pops around the corner. Let me shoot an American. Yeah. protests were to no avail, um, they moved her out of there, and she is now out of the city. Would you come and get my gun for? I'm a good citizen. Marie Galatis, a Baptist minister, faced the same story in her neighborhood. The same threats by thugs, the same lack of police, but she never once felt afraid. And I had my Bible, and I had my gun, and I knew I was safe. 
And I tell you what, I'm an Annie Oakley if you come fool with me or my family. I'm going to let you have it, buddy. Marie knows she was lucky. She was never forced to leave home and didn't have her firearm confiscated. It's going against my, my constitutional rights as a citizen. But Marie remembers how upset she got when the police department threatened to take her firearm. You're letting the thugs get away with everything, and you're coming to honest, good citizens and taking away their protection, and it is wrong, wrong, wrong. What I feel is that we're losing control of who we are as a nation. Robert Zoss was forced to evacuate when a tree destroyed both of his family's homes. Loaded with dogs, kids, people. Then, as they were exiting through downtown, the unexpected happened. These cops came out of nowhere, said stop, and asked, uh, do we have weapons in the car? And I told him, yeah, I do. He said, get out the vehicle. Had us all sit cross-legged in front while they searched the vehicle. I had a 22 long rifle. My uh, tenant's girlfriend had a 22 pearl handle revolver given to her by her grandmother or grandfather. But Robert couldn't believe what he watched police do next to his rifle and his friend's pearl handle revolver. I saw them smash her gun given to her by grandmother or grandfather just against the curb. The other things that they busted up, the 22 rifle they busted up, these were police officers that went too far. We didn't have any rights. I mean, they treated us like criminals. They treated us like if we were in a third world country. I was scared because these guys weren't doing it by the book. There was mayhem. Uh, New Orleans police did not have control of the city anymore. So the only plan they thought, I guess, was to take the guns away from the people. Heed the warning of what this was, you know. This is like Australia. All of a sudden, boom, they got our rights. We immediately were, uh, I'm sorry, we, the militia guys left, they decided to leave, we decided to go do our own thing, and we met up with the Cajun and Texas Navy guys. When I got to the Woodlands, I think it was called the Crossing Church in the Woodlands is where they were set up, uh, I could tell they had a very well put together rescue mission going on with lots of computers and maps and other things, and they were dispatching people to many different locations in different areas. The guys that were running this were obviously pros at what they were doing and obviously had connections with many other people because as soon as they gave us a chance to get our boats out there and start going on rescue missions, we heard that there was some really bad looting going on. One of the stories that we heard of was like Grand Theft Auto. Somebody was on a jet ski with pistols in both hands, like firing their guns into into uh, people's homes in the Katy area. And DPS showed up. Uh, that's Department of Public Safety. For those of you who don't understand, that is basically the Highway Patrol of Texas. And they were putting a DPS agent on every boat and every car going out to do these rescues. The DPS agent that that rode with me for several hours uh, was a member of CID, which is Criminal Investigation Detectives or Criminal Investigation Units. And they wanted to make sure that they wanted to make sure that we. Uh, had our guns with us so I had a high patrol chick in my car as we were dispatched to go out and was told to grab my AK-47 and have my pistol on my hip because of what they were involved in now at the at the time I didn't realize why DPS was being put on every boat and every truck and over the next several hours while they were with me in my vehicle and questioning them I was I was messing with her. So I got an inside track of what was going on. They sent me to uh, to Kings, Kingsland, Kings, uh, I forget the town. It was the same place I had been earlier that morning with the, with the militia and uh, was basically a dead end because they had already pulled everybody out and that area had already been basically uh, taken care of. 
So we were rerouted to the Katy area, and the message that the DPS agent got and informed us of was they were going to be blowing the dam in Katy, Texas. And that was the message we got and that there was an emergency to go and get people out. I later found out that even though we were stopped at this FEMA Resource Center and this government makeshift resource center at the mall and let me tell you and you'll get part of this out of my story that they they do use malls they do use walmart they do use these other places to set up fema and to create fema centers in these natural disasters i saw it firsthand not a conspiracy um we later found out that the reason dps was with us and wanted to make sure we were armed was because at least one of those gun stores had been taken over and there was some pretty hardcore gang members that were using the arms that they had gotten to go and loot and rob people. They were stealing boats from people in the Cajun Texas Navy. They were dressing up like rescuers. And when people would answer their door to get rescued, they were robbing them and going in their homes. There were people that were being shot and murdered. And they put the DPS agents and detectives on our boats and on our cars because they were hunting gang members. Like I said, the the immediate hours and few days after a disaster, it's lawlessness, it's shit at the fan, and there is no law and order, and things get crazy, and that's another reason why you want to be prepared and have arms in your home and everywhere else. So, the Texas State Troopers, or DPS, went and almost forcefully removed uh, Secret Service agents, FBI agents, and FEMA agents, and Corps of Engineer agents out of their way because as they were planning on blowing this dam, uh, the, the the lakes were overfulled, the, the dams might have failed, and so blowing the dams or releasing the waters actually prevents a wall of water from going and, and washing something like uh, Houston out and allows it for to be a more controlled release. But what they did, instead of announcing it publicly, they did not evacuate people. They locked the roads down and told rescuers to get out of the area and left people in their homes to drown, basically. So the DPS agents told these federal agents to get out of their way because they were going into safe Texas. And again, the only reason why the stories coming out of Texas were not Katrina was because Texans were helping Texans to the point of even the highway patrolmen telling federal agents to get out of their way. They were going in to save Texans. And I believe on that afternoon, at least 150 people were saved from this one neighborhood that was in the direct path of the release of this dam. I forget the name of the dam at this point in time. Um... But 11 p.m. was scheduled to be the release of, or the the blowing of the dam. And at least three of the rescuers that I talked to said that the the dam had started to fail and there was a moon-shaped spot in the top of it where water had been coming over and been washing part of the dam away. So... people were saved we rallied back at the crossing church where they basically wrapped everything up for today and they told the stories of what had been happening at least at least one boat had been in another neighborhood and pulled out at least 100 people themselves from that area and let me tell you something these stories that you're seeing on cnn and fox news and stuff about uh government officials going out on boats and pulling people in and rescuing them were designed as propaganda to let you know that the government was taking care of you when all actuality they were not doing evacuations they were locking down the highways they were locking down these neighborhoods and they were going to flood these people in their homes everybody went home for the night and got some rest and were scheduled to come back at sunrise to go again and by the time we got back the next morning they started dispatching people to the Beaumont-Port Arthur area. Uh, That is when a member of the State Department came in and basically he laid it out like this. We don't want to have a war zone. We need to get people in there to do rescues. 
they're not allowing anybody to get into this area. So you're gonna follow me. It's normally an hour drive. It's gonna take us four hours to get there because the roads are so flooded that we have to go on all these different county roads and back ways to get there. Some of that is uh, recorded in my Facebook live videos that I was doing. I was not doing YouTube. I only could do one thing because we were so busy. So I was doing live updates because do it live, right? Don't just record stuff later on. Just put it out there so that people can see what's going on. So we followed this member of the State Department under, uh, it, he, he led at least 30 trucks and boats to the Beaumont area. When we get to Beaumont, we get past all of the roadblocks, we get past everything, and we show up at a church. And then he filled us in on what was going on, and they called it Templar One. That was, that was the mission we were on, was Templar One. So we go from there, and the pastor prays over us, and we go out from that spot. And um, we head over to the local Walmart and Academy store where they were setting up the FEMA Fusion Center and makeshift hospital, and they had a helipad there to be able to do rescues and stuff. So they were using the Walmart stores and they were using the parking lots there and stuff. There were already lines lining up at the Walmart stores that were at least two miles long and people were being rationed one case of water, one loaf of bread. It was very socialistically done. This is how FEMA works things. They don't always give people what they need. They just give them little pieces here and there. And it's done in a systematically government-controlled socialistic way. And uh, basically there was bread lines forming, and that's exactly what was happening there at that FEMA center. This is a unique little book covering a topic that is much overdue for teaching children about our environment. The title is Funny Clouds, A Chemtrail's Tale, written by Raphael O'Neill, illustrated by Sean Gautreaux, and printed by an Amazon company called Great Space. The story is about little Marie and her mom who go outside to plant a tree. When they finish, little Marie looks up towards the sky to see strange clouds sprayed by jet aircraft. The story is told in rhyme and prose that can inform but also entertain a young reader. I recommend this book because it has an optimistic message without instilling fear. The story ends on a positive note about how responsible people will ultimately succeed in stopping chemtrails by spreading awareness and taking political action. This little book is a valuable tool for adults to educate their children on an extremely important environmental issue. The informed citizens know that chemtrails were described in House Resolution 2977 as an exotic weapon back in 2001. Concerned parents have a right to protect their children from dangerous chemical experiments in our sky. If you're interested in this book, go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. PatriotRadioBooks.com. There's a new bookstore in town. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the whole movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Police and veterans are the ones that lost their minds because they didn't have direction and they didn't have anybody give them um, 
confirmation on what they were supposed to do, and so they started freaking out. And we convinced half of them to go back to the church that we had started out at that day in Beaumont. And uh, when we got back to the church, I started doing what I do. I, I grew up in the mountains here in the Ozarks. I don't know if you can see around me these beautiful uh, hills and and uh, stuff around me. There's lots of lakes and rivers and stuff here. I, I'm a river rat. I grew up that way. I grew up in the woods of the Ozarks and understand flooding. I understand rivers. I understand the way that water moves and works in the woods. I'm a survivalist. I started looking at the maps. I looked at the dam report and found out that they were going to be releasing water overnight, that four foot of water was going to be in downtown, but it wasn't going to be in the next hour. And I quickly put together a plan and was contacted by people on what they thought that I needed to do. And that's as much as I'm going to say about that in this video. Um, so we started setting up shop. Half the veterans and police freaked out and decided they wanted to go to the uh, the local Holiday Inn so they'd have beds and showers and stuff. And the other half of us stayed at the church and started putting together basically our own fusion center. And this fusion center that we put together in 48 hours, uh, we put together a small medic hospital. We had nurses, militia, and other people there. And we were not taking in refugees. This was only for search and rescue. And I immediately started using my resources with Don't Comply and the Open Carry Movement and militia and other people that I know across the board to start bringing in supplies. What I was not telling people on social media was the fact that we were also warned by these guys that they were getting ready to do gun confiscations on the Texas coast in Beaumont and Port Arthur. They had already been having lots of looting and lots of... Um, uh, they were having gunfights. There were people being murdered. Uh, our guys started bringing in reports of lots of bodies being in the water. And the body count that's being talked about in Texas is not in the 60s. It's probably more like in the thousands. Because they didn't recover any of these bodies before they released the water from the dam. So what happened was when they released the water from the dam, those bodies were being washed out to sea. Some of the people that were going to the FEMA fusion centers were not to be heard or seen from again. And my security advisor that was there as I was putting together our own militia fusion center was giving me reports back from their boats and from the people that were in the water uh, of bodies that they were seeing with bullet holes in them. Um, they would simply tag these bodies around their ankle or around their wrist and leave them in the water because when you're in search and rescue, it's a biohazard to bring a dead body onto your boat and you basically GPS mark where they're at and later on they can be recovered after the flooding because we were there to pull out live bodies out of the water and out of these neighborhoods. But what I was told by local officials and by the State Department official that was there with us was that they were going to be doing gun confiscations because of the violence that had been happening in that area. And I think we all know from Katrina and other things that gun confiscations not only is not going to fucking happen in Texas, it's not going to happen again because of, um, because of life safety. Because of, because, because of life safety. So I started making a call out for supplies. My call out for supplies was not just for supplies and the people that I'm involved with understand that I needed armed men there. We were approached by local officials, officials who, the police and others who told us that we were not allowed to have guns, we were not allowed to be armed while we were there and that they were going to come and take our guns and not allow us to be a part of that. So those of you who don't, don't understand right now, there is a civil war happening in this country. And I saw it firsthand on the Texas coast. There are federal officials who were there who were wanting to lock down roads and wanting to wash these bodies out to sea. 
and there were government officials there that were supporting us in the life safety of saving Texans' lives, pulling them out of their neighborhoods and making sure that they were getting supplies and safety and medical attention. And there were those who were trying to control the situation and lock it down. That first night that I was there, I was doing everything I could to use this facility that we had and I had realized that the dam that they were releasing was one river over from us and had the flooding come over to our area, it was going to hit this other river and was still gonna wash out to Port Arthur. So I knew we were on dry ground. I knew we were in a safe location. We started setting up shop there. Half of our guys left, <coughs> ended up chasing their tails for the night because you can't always put your boats into the raging flood waters. It'll wash your boat out and it's not safe unless you have the right size motor, but the right size motor for those situations in four foot of water with cars and debris and everything else is not the ideal situation. You'll wreck your boat, you'll capsize, and you'll be stuck in the flood waters and become somebody who needs to be rescued also. Within 24 hours, I had more than 50 to $100,000 worth of supplies showing up on trucks. <coughs> along with over a hundred armed men and women and medics and corpsmen and people who are not your bullshit militia spouting keyboard warriors that you see on the internet all the time. These are guys who are hardcore motherfuckers that were ready to go in to these little towns and these neighborhoods where they were not doing evacuations, that they were flooding <coughs> and preparing FEMA and other people were flooding these small towns without doing evacuations and didn't care if people were dying. <coughs> they were taking over supply routes and supply chains of Texans who were sending aid and sending people and they were confiscating it. And like I said in the beginning of the video, it was, I think, I think half of it was because there were people there to do bad deeds and I think that there were people there who uh, instead of being caught up in that would rather lock the roads down and not let you get cameras in and not let you get the stories out so that it doesn't look bad on their record when it comes down. They were allowing bodies to be washed out to sea because it's better to let that happen and then be missing persons instead of another body count on their local county or their area. By the time I was told that we needed to disarm, I had at least 40 people there armed, um, AKs, ARs, sidearms, and I started putting a plan together, and I'll just put it this way. I called Murdoch Pisgotti, the president of my organization, on the last day, which I'm gonna get to this in a minute, and I told him, I've been busted, <laughs> and I got to tell you what I was doing because it might come back on you because you're the one sending me aid down here. But I was not just trying to put boats in the water. I was not just trying to um, bring supplies and aid in from other parts of Texas and across the country. What I was doing is I was using the old tactic that we see the government using and saying that we were doing humanitarian aid runs. But on those humanitarian aid runs of ships full of uh, food and medical supplies, I was putting at least four to five armed men or women team members in boats to get them over into the Golden and Vider areas and the Port Arthur areas so that we had armed militia in those areas to protect Texans and also help pull them out. The first night that I was there, we had at least one team that was not part of the militia. They were there, um, I think, as agenteurs, and I personally heard them talking about hunting people. And there were people down there that were hunting people. They were not hunting deer, they were not hunting boar, they were not hunting pigs, they were hunting people. I think some of them believe that they were hunting looters, 
But as I said earlier, after a day or two of being in shit at the fan in a situation where there's no water, no food, your most moralistic person might go into your neighbor's house and try and find food and water for survival. So at this point in time, you have people who aren't necessarily looters, but people who are just trying to survive. And if they looked like looters, they were being shot. They were hunting people. Those bodies are not being recorded in the body counts that are happening down there. And now that FEMA and National Guard took over and suspended all rescue operations, people are, they're, they're bringing in prison ships. And I'm going to tell you right now, do not get on their fucking prison ships. Because you might not come back. They're allowing the sharks and the fish to eat the bodies that go out to sea just like they did in Hurricane Katrina. And with millions of people being displaced from their homes and their neighborhoods, you might go missing forever. And they think that you just bugged out and went somewhere else in the country and can't find you. But a lot of these people are going out to sea and never coming back. By the next morning, I had trucks and militia rolling in. So now we're going into the fourth or fifth day uh, that I was down there. I was only sleeping about an hour a night, just enough to... Um, you know, not be in sleep deprivation and being able to keep my mind sane. And by the afternoon, I had probably about 75 armed men and women, not including the ones that were already out in the water doing rescues, and was continuing to make the call for supplies. By that night, I had 100 to 150 very tacked out armed teams ready to protect Texans. Ready to go into these small towns and these neighborhoods and make sure that people were not getting locked in, make sure they were getting aid coming into them, and making sure that the government was not allowing people to be killed, whether it was by the release of these dams and the flooding for a second time, not from the hurricane, but they were flooding these areas for a second time, and my my security guy informed me that what they were doing was basically flushing the toilet on Port Arthur, and the bodies that they had seen from the hurricane, whether they were full of bullet holes or whether they were just flood victims were not there during the second flooding. They had not been collected. They were being washed out to sea. So we had about fifty dollars to $100,000 worth of supplies show up in the form of medical supplies, food, water, and all these different things. hundred to 150 very tacked out, very capable armed militiamen. And the, like I said, these are not the people that you see bullshitting on the internet um, these are actual three percenters that showed up and were about it and ready to go about three o'clock in the morning on the last night that I was there private contractors showed up and they were very angry about some of the things that were going on they demanded that I hand over those supplies and I dispersed my men and women that were there um, for the safety of Texans. And I refused. And I told him very strictly to his face that you're not going to tell me to disarm. I've been a part of the open carry movement. I was a PR director of a very large organization. And if he was going to threaten me in that manner... I would make a very quick phone call and make sure that a thousand armed people showed up and were ready to continue the job that we were doing. <coughs> On Facebook and social media, I was talking about um, supplies and helping out people, but the very reality of the fact was I was using those boats and I was using those people and those supplies to make sure that armed militia were going in and... I believe wholeheartedly that we stopped a gun confiscation and we and we stopped them from 
<coughs> murdering a lot of people. <coughs> because that was happening down there. I think it's still happening down there. The Some of the homeless people were freaked out. Uh, Thomas Jefferson High School in Port Arthur had had a lot of people um, evacuated by plane. And there was at least 1,500 that were left behind that refused to get on the FEMA planes. <coughs> because they said that they were not making their destinations. They were not showing up in certain areas. And those people... Uh, I don't know where they were going. The 1,500 that were there, we sent a security force over to because they almost started rioting at the Thomas Jefferson High School in Port Arthur uh, because of the way they were being treated. And again, I'm going to tell people, we've talked about this for years. For fucking years, we talked about this. Don't go to the FEMA centers. Uh, this shit's very real. I just experienced it firsthand. And I've come home to decompress over these issues to the Ozarks while I'm still in connection with things that are going on down there. Um, the private contractors came in, tried to disarm us, tried to take over our supplies, and I wasn't having any of it. The guy that was working with me hand-in-hand hand, uh, started carrying around an ice pick because the contractor had threatened his life, and he was ready to stab this guy in his neck because he he straight up threatened our lives. I had my 357 on my hip the whole time that I was there. And this contractor was talking to us about open carrying and scaring people, but the real reality is they were trying to control the situation and take over for whatever reason supplies and get those armed men out of there. And he tried to take my 357 off my hip, in which case my retention skills that I've done, whether the open carry movement or my training in other areas I'm not going to talk about, um, I put my elbow directly on my gun as soon as he tried to grab it, smacked his arm away, and had to inform him I was going to shoot him in his head if he tried to touch my gun again because they were trying to take over and threaten our operation of protecting Texans so that they could get away with whatever they were getting away with. Hiding bodies, uh, covering up things that were going on. I, some of the neighborhoods that those guys were going into were the richest neighborhoods and were involved in, um, I believe, government looting or private contractor looting. So we slept in the back corner of the pastor's office that night and the next morning we had already had everything set up and we got up and we sent everybody out in eight, ten different directions where they couldn't be followed and they went to their prospective places to these small towns in these areas and we got the supplies there. We got the armed militia into these areas to protect Texans and they continued that as I left town and went back to Dallas. My mission at that point in time after five days was basically over and I left and got out of the, the areas we had been flooded in and the flood waters had started to recede after about 48 hours that stuff's still going on down there FEMA came in the government came in and they locked down the areas and they're now bringing in prison ships which one of the judges down there in that local area has now ruled uh, and put his foot down to get them out of the Port Arthur area and that's happening today. So I'm still in contact with people down there and things that are going on and aid missions that are happening, even though I'm just doing it by my electronic communications at this point in time, which I'm sure I'm monitored constantly for the stuff that we do. Uh, and I've been told by Dallas detectives and others that our pictures hang on the wall there as, as individuals who are activists and people basically not to mess with because we will we'll bring a 1,000 armed people to your area if you... Um, if you threaten us or try to do these gun confiscations, and that's just how it is. But we're not playing anymore. This isn't going to be Katrina. This isn't going to be a, a place where you have martial law and you're murdering people uh, if many of us have anything to do with it. So 
it's a very serious situation, and the reason that the Texas coast was not Katrina was because there were Texans there who gave a shit and put their lives on the line to save people. It was a war zone down there, and it was it was bad, and it still is bad. And these agencies are still trying to go in there and put their foot in the door and keep control of things, but they're fucking killing people. The body count is way higher than what it, than what it ever is being said. The propaganda that they're spouting on TV about how things are getting better are a lie. They're spraying neurotoxins, saying that they're trying to kill out the mosquitoes. And some of these things are like Agent Orange and others that they are now spraying the populace with down there. And it's ridiculous. And people need to know the story about what's happening down on the Texas coast. Not only the fact that they're doing this shit, but also the fact these guys, these average bass boat dudes, (laughs) these people who are down there pulling people out of their houses... They're the real heroes. Don't listen to this bullshit about these government search and rescue missions that are going on. Because I didn't see any of that shit. I saw them locking roads down. I saw SWAT going after the civilians who were using their boats to save people. And I saw them locking people in without evacuating them. And then flood them in their homes to the point where they needed to be rescued out of there. You ask anybody on the coast... What was going on down there, you're going to hear some of the same fucking stories. CNN and Fox News and these other people, they're lying to you about what happened down there. And I'm sure it's going on in Florida at this point in time, especially with the other hurricanes that are coming in. And I've had people ask me, are they manipulating the weather and everything else? I don't fucking know. I know that that ability is there, but what I do know is they're controlling things, and these disastrous scenarios that are happening are the very forefront and the front lines of the civil war that's happening in this country right now. There are people out there risking their lives. Uh, One of the guys in the Cajun Navy was shot. Two of the guys went into homes that were sell electricity and were electrocuted to death. One person was saving kids and run over by a boat and chopped up. There are rescuers and average people and militia that are being hurt and losing their lives in this. It was a war zone. It continues to be so. And now people like FEMA are bringing in these prison ships. And I'm going to tell you one more time. Do not get on their ships. Do not go to their FEMA centers. You might not ever be heard from again. And that's direct information from what I saw going on and from my security guys that were on the ground and in these areas and what was happening. There was tens of thousands of lives saved because of these average heroes that went out and risked their lives and did so for their fellow man and there are those people that are down there who are trying to control steal loot murder hunt people and everything else that's going on i'm going to wrap this up at this point in time because i can't possibly tell five days worth of stuff in a one hour video which has now become i'm just going to ask that you people look into this a little more because what we warn about over the, over the years, that's exactly how it went down. So we're going to go right back to the island that I showed you at 1 o'clock in the morning. And I want to look at the wind speeds because this is supposedly where the eye of this hurricane is passed. It just supposedly passed through. And I'm going to show you that. Okay, Puan and Petra right now, as of 12 p.m., right this, just just literally 22 minutes ago, is reporting wind speeds of 29 miles an hour. Let's make sure that the hurricane hasn't passed through there. Okay, because its wind speeds are 29 miles an hour right this very minute, although there's a hurricane off to the west of there. Let's make sure that, that the hurricane didn't just pass through there, and I'm not just capturing the last few minutes after the hurricane when everything's calm and quiet. Now, these are the wind speeds. No. The hurricane did not pass through there. No hurricane has passed through there. The highest wind speed was at 4.30 in the morning, which I actually captured in the 40s at 1 o'clock in the morning, 43, 46 miles an hour, and now it's dropped down to 23. So no hurricane passed through Puana Petro, okay? It's, there is no hurricane here. There was no hurricane here. I showed you on the radar there was no hurricane there. Now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, something that actually looks like a hurricane is actually there. Where the hell did this come from? 
where did this come from and why aren't we registering it in the area that it just passed through okay that's a that's what I want to know let's go to the next landmass here at Nevis let's go to Nevis chicks right here let's see because they're pretty close to where this hurricane is supposed to be their their wind speed is 36 miles an hour okay that's right here let's look at this one this is Montserrat Montserrat 36 miles an hour you guys it, they're cooking the storm up. And now it looks like a hurricane. I'm not denying that this is on radar, but we've got to use the wind speeds and we've got to ask, why wasn't this thing here last night at 1 o'clock in the morning? Supposedly, according to NASA, this thing has been here for 24 hours. In fact, they keep showing this repeated image here. They keep showing this repeated image here of NASA, of this stupid hurricane hitting this poor little island of Dominica, over and over again. This has been the same satellite image that we've seen for 24 hours. Even at this very moment, I'm going to show you, even at this very moment, we do not have, these two maps do not match. This is real-time, supposedly up to moment real-time, and this is definitely real-time. This is definitely on the radar right this minute. All right, so this is the analysis that I'm giving for Hurricane Maria, which isn't a hurricane yet. It does, it's not even registering wind speeds, but it's actually spinning around. So there we go, guys. We got the hurricane that NASA was telling us we were going to get. It doesn't match the NASA images. Nothing's matched the NASA's images yet. But here we go. This is it. Now, I'd also, I'll just do one more thing here because this is another thing that's making me disgusted. Because I want to look here down um, at this island of... Uh, Dominica. Go through my last several videos, you guys. I, I documented the wind speeds at Dominica. They did not exceed 40 miles an hour. They didn't, they didn't even come close. So we're going to go to Margo, Dominica, which stopped reporting yesterday at 7. And as a hurricane approached the city, the, the island, you would think it would register winds really high. But it doesn't. It doesn't. They just stopped reporting. Hey folks, it's Patriot Nurse. I just want to touch base with you guys ahead of Hurricane Irma now, which is our second major storm to hit very close on the heels of Harvey. The first thing that you probably have heard about at this point is that the illustrious governor of U.S. Virgin Islands, who was of course born in New York, it would have to be that way, has issued an executive order for gun confiscation as well as ammunition confiscation and quote, any other property deemed necessary for the guard to fulfill their their orders, whatever the case may be. This is, of course, hardcore constitutionally legal. That is a no-no. The Second Amendment says shall not be infringed, and we don't do gun confiscation. Like, that's not how this works in a constitutional republic. So the NRA has, of course, threatened to, to sue to stop this order unless it is rescinded. Hopefully it will be rescinded. We'll see. But it would, of course, be a New Yorker who would give that one out. Like, folks, people people just don't understand this. I'm not talking about y'all in upstate because I get a lot of y'all are just pretty much political prisoners. But... Like, liberalism is a pox and a mental disorder, and now it's affecting these people down there in the Caribbean, no less. I, it is what it is. But I want you to think about something for a minute here. Think about something for a minute. These people are facing the strongest storm, to my reckoning, the strongest storm in the Atlantic ever to be documented. And now the people that they have elected are saying... That your Bill of Rights is now rescinded. You don't have a right to defend yourself. You don't have a right to defend your property. We're going to come and take it. Woohoo! Um, not a good thing. Ladies and gentlemen, the New World Order is not happening in one fell swoop. The New World Order is a series of assaults on the psyche of humanity, mankind, especially the sovereign American mind, that does maintain and preserve its Second Amendment right, which guarantees its ability to protect itself against enemies, foreign and domestic. Stay strong, America. It's a marathon, not a sprint. The assaults are many. Weather is a weapon. Our minds are a weapon, but 
they have no power over us, that which we do not give them ourselves. God bless. This is a unique little book covering a topic that is much overdue for teaching children about our environment. The title is Funny Clouds, A Chemtrail's Tale, written by Raphael O'Neill, illustrated by Sean Gautreaux, and printed by an Amazon company called Great Space. The story is about little Marie and her mom, who go outside to plant a tree. When they finish, little Marie looks up towards the sky to see strange clouds sprayed by jet aircraft. The story is told in rhyme and prose that can inform but also entertain a young reader. I recommend this book because it has an optimistic message without instilling fear. The story ends on a positive note about how responsible people will ultimately succeed in stopping chemtrails by spreading awareness and taking political action. This little book is a valuable tool for adults to educate their children on an extremely important environmental issue. The informed citizens know that chemtrails were described in House Resolution 2977 as an exotic weapon back in 2001. Concerned parents have a right to protect their children from dangerous chemical experiments in our sky. If you're interested in this book, go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. PatriotRadioBooks.com. There's a new bookstore in town.